This is The Scene Podcast, a show about identity. Not your typical interview format, I ask guests to provide a list of the ways they have been viewed, acknowledged, and judged throughout their lives. This scene list reveals and guides our dialogue about identity, visibility, and invisibility while pursuing the question, how are you seen? I'm your host, Miranda Wiley. In this episode, I talk with Karina Magyar, a comedian, a mother, and all-around great conversationalist. Karina is trans, which, just to quickly define, is a term used for people whose gender identity is the opposite of what was assigned at birth. And the opposite of trans is cis, meaning people whose gender identity matches the sex that they were assigned at birth. So using the terms, I, Miranda, am a cis woman, and Karina is a trans woman. The labeling of cis and trans can be important when talking privilege, visibility, or rights, like in the case of the bathroom bill that Karina and I talk about. The bathroom bill is legislation that did not pass in Texas, demanding individuals use the public restroom that matches the gender identity they were given at birth. Karina used her trans identity to speak out against the bill, but otherwise she reserves the right to be a woman with no other modifiers. Here's my conversation with Karina Magyar. Karina Magyar, welcome to The Scene Podcast. Would you kick us off by reading your scene list? Sure. One, I'm trans. Two, I'm a mom. Three, I'm a comedian. Four, I'm a writer. Five, I'm mean. Six, I'm wise. Seven, I'm distant. Eight, I'm too many things. Thank you. Sure. So what I'm really enjoying about doing this show is that each guest interprets the scene list differently and um, in format and and in style and in, you know, different parts of like, you know, childhood versus now, et cetera. So what really struck me about your list is that like it leaves me questioning like all these proclamations like is this how you identify or are these ways that you are seen or both? Uh, these are identities that have been handed to me that I've decided to own. Um, there's a lot of other identities that I'm sure have been handed to me over the years that I've just rejected. But yeah. these are the ones that I'm willing to own, um, either because of good self-esteem or bad self-esteem. <laughs> some, <of them, laughs> some of them go one way, some of them go the other way. Okay. Yeah. That's a, I, I like that. I like that overview of it because we're going to get into each and every one of them. Um, um, what I have appreciated as somebody who's going through a personal rebrand is that your comedy is online with you transitioning. Like you haven't, yeah, like I don't know if that is something that you couldn't control if you tried to have your comedy taken down, like when you identified and were more male presenting. Mm -hmm. um, what was that like to do comedy through through transitioning um well comedy made it all easier to be honest um <clears throat> I think I would have had a much harder time coming out if I weren't performing um because it kind of gave me an excuse to change my identity so radically I wouldn't have needed the excuse I would have happened organically anyway in a private life but in a public life it kind of had to be switched on it was a <clears throat> it was kind of a go for it thing, um, which I think accelerated and kind of eased um, some of the usual, uh, I 
don't know, anxieties about transition. Um, transition can be a really, really slow process for a lot of people. Some of it's naturally slow. It just takes a while to get everything done. Um, but some of it is also held back by like, oh God, all right, this is the first time I'm going to grow my hair long. And then that's like two years of anxiety and like, okay, this is the first time I'm going to wear unisex clothes. And that's another two, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I just realized as I was thinking about coming out, which I did for about <clears throat> nine months before I did on stage, that it would have to be sort of like pulling off a Band-Aid. Um, it wouldn't have to be, but that's what felt right for me in order to keep being funny. I didn't think I could maintain funny and be like half of something. And what really helped was when I did pull that Band-Aid off at a couple of LGBT events where it was kind of safe spacey and I could change my mind or whatever. Um, turns out it really helped. Like my jokes got better. My set got better. I was like, oh, wow, being yourself on stage really works. That's why people tell you to do it. And then that translated into, you know, being myself in life would probably really work too. And it did. And it was just, it sort of gave me a way to back into um, public transition. Um, and it doesn't hurt to try it and float looks and identity markers and all this stuff and, and have people clap and, and cheer and laugh and, you know, the feedback, the positive feedback there could translate and carry me through, you know, the risks of just walking around. I still had, it was weird. I thought I had it all planned out. I thought, oh, this is good. I did it. I spent nine whole months thinking really hard about it, working on my personal life. I was totally out to like a close circle of friends and my family and all that. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to get on stage. And I made this big push to get on stage as a woman for the first time, introducing myself as a woman. I'm like, oh, I did it. I'm done. Look at that record time of transition. And then the next year and a half was just ugly and awful. As I slowly realized, like, oh, I have so much more work to do <laughs> before I feel like I've actually um, shed all of the layers of masculinity that had just kind of like gunked up and accumulated on me over the years. So. Um, I, did, I spent, and part of that was um, expressed even in my name. Um, I spent a good year on stage with a pseudonym that I don't use anymore just because I hadn't come out at work and I was worried about Googling or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's how I had a pseudonym. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's like this year where there was this other person named Maggie Chris who I look back now and I'm like, I don't know who she is. <laughs> She's like some weird baby trans person who yeah, had no I mean, idea what she was doing up there. But that's kind of genius in a way, right? It like, helped. Yeah, it, psychologically. Because yeah. then when I finally, you know, uh, came around to figuring out what I wanted my name to be and, and using my real last name again, I, I was just like, oh, now I know what I'm doing. You know, it was sort of like that was a year-long dress rehearsal. Yeah. I just happened to be very public and captured in a documentary and <laughs> it's very confusing. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about that mm. if you want or not. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, but uh, yeah, like when did you feel like you could take ownership of the um, the identity of being a comedian? Was it perchance being, you know, wait, let me get it right, being the runner up in the 2017 Funniest Person in Austin contest or being featured in the Amazon Prime documentary Funniest? Like, did these things solidify you feeling like a comedian or kind of like your gender identity? Mm. Was it something that you just were catching up to, to then 
like someone else putting that label on you. Mm, I don't know enough about your gender identity to make that to connection really. Oh, so no, that sounds that made sense. It oh, did. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking about the comedian label. Um, I had accepted fully as a hobbyist kind of like uh-huh. I do comedy. Like what do you like? If it would be in my resume under other interests, right? A long time ago. You know, I've been doing this for eight years, and I would say like two years in, I would have been like, oh, I do comedy. That's one of my main hobbies. I spend a lot of my time doing it. And that was two years before transition, right? Um, But when did I own it as something I wanted to pursue, perhaps professionally, or at least find a larger platform for? Um, That happened the minute I finished my first set presenting female. I mean, just... Oh, wow. Okay, so the, it it's just very... just clicked. Yeah, similar. it was like, oh, this is why. I didn't know why I did comedy. I, you know, I did comedy because I thought it was funny, right? Isn't that the reason you do comedy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then all of a sudden, I felt like, oh, I do comedy to explain myself. And then I got some reactions to it. And I felt the jokes come out of me feel stronger and better. And then that's when I realized, oh, I do this to explain myself. And explaining myself could help other people and it was just like oh okay I'm, I'm doing this this is it I, I'm only doing like this is my first job now and I you know I have a day job I'll acknowledge that to any of my coworkers who are listening <laughs> but it's my second job it's just I spend most of my time there and get most of my money that way but it's my first job is really now it's my main identity as a profession um, it's a tie between comedian and writer but the same thing. Those are both for the same reason. To like, I don't know, share my story because I know there's people out there who don't get to hear that story and it applies to them. Um, and I know I was would have been thirsty for hearing this story when I didn't know what I was doing. And it was when I started to see other trans women in the media portrayed positively. Or at least completely, wholly, mm-hmm. like not one dimensional. Um, that things really started to unlock for me. It sounds trite, but like literally watching Orange is the New Black like really planted a seed. I was like, oh, that's it's a, it can be a it can be a person, you know what I mean? Not a yeah, not a joke, not a stereotype, not a twist ending for Pet Detective. Like it can be right. a person. Oh, that that sounds like a solution that might help me a lot, you know? Yeah. It seems like comedy is a way for you to control your narrative, to control how you are seen, and not just um, not just comedy, but how you do comedy. Like right. watching your set, it's really phenomenal for you to to just to see you put it all out there. Mm-hmm. It's I really appreciate the boldness um, that you have of just like naming where you are with. Pre- presenting like mm-hmm. uh watching the clip of you uh performing at a drag show where um <laughs> people are are like I don't know I don't know what people are thinking but I can only imagine like right that they're <laughs> yeah. like um I don't know this is a drag show what pronouns is she in drag like is mm-hmm. this a trans person and then you like I don't know if it was on that set or not but then you're like this is you didn't realize like you were coming out for this and then you call yourself a BLT like you're mm-hmm. the the bisexual lesbian and trans and mm-hmm. it's like you you just put it out there and name yourself mm-hmm. that and so then you can kind of feel everyone 
relax. Like that there's no more like questioning and you're putting it out there and it's a way to control like this is who I am. Um, And I'm curious if you're like that in your everyday life. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, on on that, there's a Harry Shearer quote that I don't know if I'll get it word for word, but paraphrase is that uh, comedians do comedy to control why people are laughing at them. And that's like the most profound quote I've ever heard about comedy because so many of us got laughed at anyway. But if you can take control of that, mm-hmm. it feels great. And that's how I approach, you know, every set that I do. I'm always going to go out there and like immediately try to grab control over whatever you think you're thinking of me. And a lot of comics do that. But in my life, no. No, I um, I have this weird vested – weird. It's not weird. I have this vested interest in being treated normally. And um, not weird at all. I grew up very boring and uh, in a very boring vanilla family in a very boring vanilla suburb. And I loved it. I had a very happy childhood. (laughs) And there's a part of me that just craves that continuation of, I don't know, boring vanilla privilege. Does that make sense? Uh, It sounds very much like white privilege. I guess it is. Anyway, it's so I don't talk about it at work. I go out of my way not to talk about it at work. And some people might handle it another way and like make jokes just to show I'm cool, you know, or because they're comfortable. It's not that I'm not comfortable. It's just, it doesn't matter at work. It's not a thing that should come up. I don't talk about anybody else's gender at work, you know? So I try to lead the way on that because I know if I talked about it all the time, other people would feel comfortable talking about it. And then something might get said that is, you know what I mean? And so it's just easier I just show that, like, I still, I literally have this mentality still. My previous job is where I came out, so obviously there I couldn't be under this illusion. But with this job, I literally, even though I know for sure, because almost everybody's seen my comedy and also they see me eight hours a day, that everybody knows I'm trans, but I still haven't mentioned it once, and I just get to walk through the illusion that, like, they just hired a cis woman, as far as they know, as far as we've all talked about, as far as anybody understands. And it's just relaxing. <laughs> it's just, it feels good. Not to not be trans, but just not to not be the only something. It's those kind of personal identities that I think uh, you should have the ability with any personal identity that the world needs to you know, label you with. You should have the ability to shed that when it comes time to get just your day-to-day work done. When it comes time for me to go to the grocery store or do work, or show up at the thinkery with my kids, or get on an airplane. I'm not trans then. When I get on stage, when I'm writing something, when I'm giving an interview, or when I'm trying to make a difference in the world, I will gladly, proudly, most outly be trans. But I reserve the right not to, I don't know, have that on me all the time, if it's possible. Yeah. That was really well said. I'm really relating to so much of that. Like, I'm a parent as well. And, um, yeah, I kind of want to talk to you about that on your scene list about uh, mm-hmm. saying that you're a mom. Like, to me, like, parenting is parenting, and there's a gender that's put on being a mom. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, what is it like being a mom for you? And did the process of becoming a parent change your your gender identity? Like, did you ident- did you identify as being a dad? You you wait. You had kids when you were yes. okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I came out um when my kids were two and a half and three months old. 
Um, <clears throat> I would say the main trigger for me discovering that uh, I've been transgender my whole life and just hadn't figured out, out was having children. Uh, the way that I approached them and saw them and felt them, it just unlocked a lot inside of me. Um, things got a little weird uh, with my ex, with my co-parent. Um, in terms of, I don't know, just the, the little pushbacks that I would have on the gender role of fatherhood. Um, not that I didn't want a parent. I wanted a parent, but yeah. I, was, I just wanted to be like, we're equal, we're the same. I just really had this vested interest in we're the same. Um, and it came down to like silly things like, uh, barbecuing. It's like, why do I always have to barbecue? And she'd be like, I don't know, just do it. (laughs) Why can't women barbecue? (laughs) Um, but yeah, it was really like, by the time my second kid was born, it was overwhelming. Just this feeling of maternal, and I really identified it as maternal, like love for this child. And I was fighting that. And in the fight against that, because I was intellectualizing, like, oh, I should, you know, what did my dad do when I was growing up? I should try to be more like him because that's my job, right? Um, and then when I was, I found with the second kid, especially when I was trying to do that, I was losing my love for my kid. I literally couldn't bond with my second kid because I was feeling like some weird artificial distance I was imposing to provide a certain kind of energy to parenting or a certain kind of stereotypical fatherness to parenting that I just couldn't connect to or feel and I was transferring that to the kid and I was feeling very upset like you know what is this and the more I started talking about it with a therapist and talking about it with my co-parent and accepting that I had this feminine identity inside of me um, and it needed to come to the surface and it wasn't going to be just a an aspect or a facet but it was really the whole all-consuming thing that made so many parts of my life add up, um, the more relaxed I became. And then it, all of a sudden, it, it, like the parenting kind of got a lot easier and made a lot more sense. And so I totally um, identified as a parent for a long time because I was afraid of how confusing I was or whatever. And, you know, I first decided my kids should just call me by my name. You know, and yeah, my name changed. So that was hard. <laughs> so they had to deal with that. <laughs> Um, and then recently in the last year or two, they just started calling me mom. They just did. They just did. They yeah. just did. Um, and I was like, hell yeah, let's go with it. And lately we've been hanging out as a foursome a lot more. And so we're trying to like get some sort of like, are you mommy and I'm mama? Like, can we, <laughs> cause it's getting confusing. Um, and they just, they're just, we're just both mom. And I'm like, okay, good. I'm a mom. Um, but I feel you on what you're saying because, like, I always say co-parent. I, I stopped saying ex-wife because it sounded so patriarchal and weird. Yeah. Even though that's what she technically is. Well, it's you know? exactly. But it's that associate. It's like there's such a derogatory way mm-hmm. that that gets used of, like, my yeah. ex-wife. Like, yeah. It's, it's like mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so then I was, like, switch to co-parent because co-mom don't sound good it just doesn't yeah. doesn't roll um and that like i will often like we co-parent right yeah. not we co-mother so i'm not like yeah insistent on that but it's just something my kids brought to the table that obviously they get a lot of feminine identifying love from us and they distinguish that from 
They know what a dad is, obviously. But it ain't me. So I'm a mom. Yeah. Yeah. And I do the same thing. I don't know where this will come with my past. There's a lot of, um, I don't know, interesting things we could say about continuity in a trans person's life. But because um, the continuity is all internal, but external, everybody sees a huge difference and they make a big deal out of it. But I found myself lately when I'm telling stories from myself as a child, <clears throat> all the pronouns go very gender neutral. I'm always a kid. You know what I mean? Um, instead of a boy or a girl. And I could very easily claim and legitimize calling myself a girl at that age, even though I was presenting male or assigned male. And I could easily justify going with boy because that's what I would have been called at the time. But I don't like either one, so I just say kid. And I let people paint their own mental picture. And people who knew me when I was younger or knew me for a long time um, before I transitioned will probably mentally picture me as a boy. And people who've only met me in the last couple of years will probably mentally picture me as a girl. And I'm like, eh, I don't care. I was a kid. And honestly, prior to puberty, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like all just hairstyles and clothes. It's, it's, <laughs> people make way too big a deal out of kid gender. What does being trans mean to you hmm. from your scene list? Um, it means a constant reminder. It's like a string on my finger that I wish I could take off. Um, it's a constant reminder that I lived for a lot of years in a way I didn't want to live and that those years are stamped on my body, just like tattooed in a way that people can see and feel and touch and make judgments based on and I have to deal with it. I wish I didn't. Um, it's funny, uh, some cisgender people will get all weird about the word cisgender, right? And what is this made up thing? Why you can't want you cis male? I'm not cis male, I'm just a man. I'm like, yeah, well, stop calling me a trans woman because I'm just a woman. Like, you started it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're both stupid. Yeah. They're both annoying. They're both made up um, in my mind. But at the place we're at in our society right now, it's an important label and it's easier for me to own it than not. I equate it a lot to like, I think in the earlier parts of the gay rights movement, like 60s, 70s, um, shouting from the rooftops that you're gay meant something and, and quelled something and took ownership of something. Uh, that you didn't necessarily want anybody to think about or make a big deal of in the first place, but since they're gonna anyway, yeah, yeah, that's it's what it taking means that me. ownership of it. You know, it's reclaiming a lot of the. It's like it's you know taking back the word like queer and gay and and yeah. you know so many of those. It's it's like well I'm identifying as it so so that I can define it. Yeah, so it doesn't hurt. Yeah, it's like someone gave me a really ugly dog. Uh, no, I like dogs. It's like someone gave me a really <laughs> ugly cat that I don't want. And I don't want to kill the cat. That's rude. Or cool. Cruel. Uh, not not good. Uh, it's a cat. I own it. Everybody says I own it. I got it. It's ugly. I don't want it. But I guess I'll name it. And hopefully it'll die in 14 years. 
because yeah, okay, I would rather okay, okay. live without this cat. So do you, do you feel like you'll get to a point where you don't identify as trans? Like that it's not going to be on your website or in your comedy? And like yeah. at work, you will just be I will do whatever woman? I have to. I hope society gets to a point mm-hmm. where I don't identify as trans. I hope I, there comes a point when I'm in my 50s and I get on stage and say I'm trans and everybody yawns or rolls their eyes or says, like, that's hack. And it will. Um, maybe. Maybe not. I mean, people still have to address their race on stage. And that didn't just start hitting the news 14 years ago. So, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I'm holding out a sliver of hope that it'll get easier and easier and less and less of, of an important label for me. Would you share what you wrote in the Austin Monthly, um, this piece called In Her Shoes? Changing the presentation of your gender is not an attempt to change who you are. It's an attempt to change how the world views you. For most people who are largely unco- who are largely comfortable with their body and the way their personality conforms to one existing ger- gender stereotype or another, this is not noticeable. But for those of us who are treated opposite of the way we feel and think and behave, there's little choice but to push back, to influence the world to see us as we really are. Transition is not the attempt to control what gender we are. Transition is the attempt to control what gender people give to us. We haven't changed, only emerged. And while it can be difficult to look at someone you've known in a new way and see them for who they really are, is it too much to ask? Is this where the the you're too many things comes up and that too much to ask? (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I ask a lot of people. Mm. I I get that too about yeah. me. And it's it's always said in this way of just like, you're too much. And I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Can you be more specific? Because I don't know how to process that. Like, is it too much of what exactly? Do you, have you gotten feedback? Of, do you know what that means? Do you know what people are talking about? No, I think it, it's like, a, I think it is much more of an anxiety that's in my head. It feels very selfish to insist that people see you exactly as you are all the time. And when you're out in trans, you're putting a lot of extra energy into that. (laughs) And then like to say, oh, and also, can you acknowledge that I'm funny? Oh, and also, can you acknowledge (laughs) that I'm articulate? Oh, and also, can you acknowledge that I'm a mother? Oh, and also, can you acknowledge I have a personality and a depth? And oh, and also, like, enough, right? I'm exhausted by myself sometimes, Mm -hmm. but... um, I, I just, I can't sit in one bucket anymore. And as long as I have to sit in a couple of different buckets, fine, here's all of them, you know? And if it's too much for people, then I guess I'm too many things. And they can just decide that. Which, speaking of, can we talk about um, something that you have done or are doing in reaction to the trans bill? Oh, yeah, that's kind of over, but yeah. Yeah, so you're not keeping up the Google Doc oh, anymore? Oh, no, I okay. mean, the bill died, so. Yeah. yeah, well, I don't know, maybe you were still just keeping it up for, like, <laughs> prosperity. No, like, it's not my posterity. favorite thing to do, is tell people where I'm shitting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I let that die uh, early. I, I probably should have kept it going through the complete death of the bill, but the minute that I was pretty sure Joe Strauss wasn't going to let it happen, I was like, okay, this is good, we're fine. I don't need to keep making this stink, literally. 
<laughs> well, can you just talk a little bit about it and what you did? Because when I'm looking at your list and then like reading about you, I'm like, you're wise. I was like, oh, th- this is where I would say, yes, Karina is wise for making a spreadsheet documenting all the public bathrooms that you use as a way to say like, this really is inconsequential and not yeah. important. Yeah, it wasn't just documenting the usage. It was the reactions. What oh, yeah. correct. Yes, yeah. yeah. That, that I had there. And the reaction is always not. There's been one reaction in my whole three and a half years of using public restrooms. Um, yeah, I mean, that was... I'm not a very good protester. Um, I don't do paperwork well enough to actually lodge complaints and talk to my senators or whatever. And I don't like marching. Uh, it's it's too... Uh, I like to be independent. And it, it gets too little hive-mindy for me. Um, but I believed in this cause for obvious reasons. And uh, I don't know. When, when I put, you know, how, how could I make a difference? How could I make my voice heard? It just came down to that. It really came down to, I don't care what your reasons are. I don't care what my reasons are. This is, is a dumb bill because it doesn't make anyone's life different anywhere. You, the people that you think are complaining are not complaining. Um, unless you ask them to. And sure, if you ask people, do you want to share your women's changing room, locker room with somebody who has a penis, they're going to no. Like, my logic brain kicked in and I say no. Um, but if you ask them, you know, can other women use the locker room with you, they're going to go, yes. And what they see in day-to-day life with trans women coming in and out of these spaces is just other women. And there was no way to logically get that across, so I just thought I'd prove it. What was the reaction to it? I got a little bit of media coverage. I don't think it made a difference to any yeah. of the politicians. Mm. I shoved it in front of both the sponsoring lady, Lori Colkhurst. I shoved it in front of her Twitter, and I still harass Dan Patrick almost daily because it's just fun. Uh, but I don't think they – it was just one more – one more social justice warrior in a sea of people that they don't listen to anyway. But I do think that it gave a talking point to people who were protesting the bill. What I didn't like was a lot of people were making arguments based on passing. They'd be like, oh, you're not going to let this man use the men's restroom, and they'd bring up some beautiful, muscular, masculine-looking trans man. Or you're not going to let her use the restroom, and they bring out the most trot out the most beautiful feminine model. And I'm like, that's not the point. And then they bring out the other big talking point was this has never happened. The thing you're afraid of, a trans person going in there and doing something sexually awful, has never happened. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We cannot rest our argument on that. Trans people are people too, and we fuck up. And there's people who are sick in the head who are also trans. It happens. And one of these days, statistically, very few and far between, very unlikely because there's not many of us, but one of these days, it's going to happen. And I would rather not not be the main argument because then it'll all fall apart. You know. So the point has to be that this just isn't something that's riskier or more uncomfortable than using a public bathroom, period. It, it doesn't add any risk or discomfort to the already pretty yeah, risky and uncomfortable situation <laughs> that we have to shit and piss in public. Yeah, it's yeah. not anyone's favorite thing to do really no and we're all keeping to ourselves because of it you know yeah exactly that's the thing I really don't pay a lot of attention to what's happening in the bathroom I'm just like getting in and getting out that's it yeah and I'm still making a big deal of this in my 
act because I know that this isn't going to go away as a talking point for the kinds of people who like to stir up social unrest for votes. So I'm constantly finding new ways of saying that thing over and over again. The bathroom is already, is it is what it is. It's not changed at all by trans women being there or not. Um. Or trans men. <laughs> I don't do that enough. How would you like to be seen a year from now? What would be on your scene list uh, that's not there now? Or would it be an entirely different list even? I would love to add generous to this list. I would love to replace I'm distant with I'm generous. Um, and that's something I'm working on. In the sense, I'm, I, I feel like I'm procrastinating on it because I'm not really working hard on it, but it's something I want to change about myself. I'm tired of my own propensity to keep people at arm's length. And I feel like all it takes is just switching to some sort of a more generous mindset and then people will hear me more and I will hear them more and I'll have a better connection. Um, so I'd love to change that one, flip it around. But right now, I just know, God, the poor, poor, long-suffering people who try to date me <laughs> or even ask me on a date. I'm so distant. I'm so, and I don't know if that's coming from fear or uh, it's fear. It's obviously fear. I don't know what I'm afraid of, though. Anyway, that's the one thing. I would, everything else I'm pretty comfortable with. But I am mean. That's on the list for a reason. Because if you come at me, fuck you. I'll take you down. Yeah. And I like being mean. I, I like that weapon. It got me through school. And I will keep it. I'm not, like, violent. I'm not destructive. But I can be mean. If I have to be. If I have to get you away from me, I can be very mean. And I don't know. I, I'm, I'm unapologetic about it. Well, yeah, when it's it's sounds like it serves you. Mm -hmm. So you use that. Is there ever yeah. time where it doesn't really serve you? Uh if it's uh, I have to I have to play judge jury and executioner with when and how I mean. And so I uh I try to be wise at the same time. Um because you don't want to be mean to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Um but the nice thing about mean it's not it's 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 just emotionally punitive uh and i'm not talking about like abusing people i'm just saying like i know how to shut someone down if they're hurting me yeah being snarky having an attitude could be snarky like, could be uh, observant and mm -hmm. not afraid to go there mm -hmm. um and as long as i don't like you know once you kick someone and they they fall to the ground you stop kicking right uh, so i do i don't abuse people or i try not to or i hope i don't Please tell me if I have. Don't. Not right now. But later. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this is hard. It's hard to, like, talk about the positivity of your bad side. But, like, you know what I mean? The Nobody messes with me, which sometimes is disappointing. Because as a comic, it's nice to keep your skills honed up if people mess with you a little bit and you have to come back at them. But people have learned not to. I had to do a roast show and I couldn't find anybody who wanted to roast me. <laughs> really? Yeah. I finally found someone who's a good friend and like we knew we could hit each other and be all smiles. But yeah, I'm not like anyone's favorite target. Um, and yeah, it, uh, it cuts down on the amount of 
BS that I think a lot of trans people especially put up with or deal with on a day-to-day basis. I've got a good old-fashioned resting bitch face. Um, I can use two words to make you go away. And I, and I don't know what they are in advance, but I just, whatever you come at me with, I will send you away with two words. They're, wait, they're always different? Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's as simple as people, like, giving me a glance that I don't like at the bus stop. I can tell them what I think of them, too. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, have, a wall, I have a wall I can put up of meanness that will keep people from fucking with my head. And that helps me get through, and it helps me protect my children. And a lot of trans women are mean. A lot of gay people are mean, too. Um, and I think that that is where that comes from, is this self-defense thing. Um, it's funny mean, usually, but not always. Um, and if it shuts down people's, bigoted people's mean-spirited comments about us, fucking good. If that's what all it takes, that's, that's so much preferable to censorship or politically correct language or education or I would rather just have people be scared to come at us honestly not because something will happen to them like some law will get passed or just because they'll have to hear something mean back at them that that's the perfect solution to me how you doing I just I don't know I feel like that was a funny place to <laughs> to wind up at I mean, like, yeah, t- I've had a really fascinating <laughs> life full of lots of identities and I'm a bitch <laughs> yeah we might move some things around or I don't know maybe, don't that's, know. Like, maybe may- that's the way to end maybe it maybe that's the way sometimes you know these things end like I've been told recently that I'm mean and I think that's why I got it got on the scene list because mm-hmm. it's not just me deciding that it's like and I've just dis- and I was like yeah hell yeah okay I'll own that one. Anyway. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being seen with Miranda. Um, it's been great talking with you. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and being so op- open and honest and, and yeah, sharing with me all of these things. Sure. Was yeah. Very fun. Oh, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm so glad to hear that because mm-hmm. sometimes, um, People are a little scared. (laughs) That's not on my list. I'm not scared. (laughs) Karina Magyar, everybody. In 140 characters, I'm just a girl who used to be a boy. Some people find that pretty funny. For everyone else, I tell jokes. More at Karina the Magyar on Twitter and KarinaMagyar.com. That's M-A-G-Y-A-R. Thanks so much, Karina. The scene team includes me, Miranda Wiley, and producer Mariah Gossett. Music by Solid State Dream Suit. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at scene underscore with underscore Miranda. And what's on your scene list? Tell me with the hashtag, how are you seen? If you're enjoying the podcast, please write us a review or give us that five-star rating. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>